Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance to gather freely, and to be encouraged, and to be with other Christians. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would just open our eyes to your word, encourage us, teach us, God, help us to be a church and people who sound out the gospel. But you just remove every distraction from us and give us your grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are having our kind of our annual meeting. It's not the beginning of a year for us, but it's the beginning of kind of a fiscal year for us, so it's kind of a big deal. And this is what we say as a church, that our Cornerstone vision statement or our desire would be, our vision is that Cornerstone Church is Christ-centered, which manifests itself in every aspect of who we are, what we do, and how we are perceived. That we're Christ-centered, which manifests itself in every aspect of who we are, what we do, and how we are perceived. And that is really what Paul says about this church at first in Thessalonica. They, they were manifesting to the world that they were a Christ-centered church. And he starts out by commending them. He, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And I just want to pause as the pastor, and the elders would say this, if you look back from April 30th when we had our last church meeting to April 29th of 2018, we had this church meeting, and you consider all the activity and all the ministry that has taken place through you in this community and through the church, it's amazing. Uh, When you stop and pause to consider all those things, it's greater than we can imagine. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great little book, Life Together, says this, Christian community... Christian community is a gift of God which we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. Paul commends this church, and I would commend you for this past year of ministry, but having said that, he also called them. And he said in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. These were called, chosen people of God, which we are as well. And the call of God compels us, or should compel us, to move forward and to consider who and where we are as a church, consider where the Spirit of God would lead us, And then commit to following the leading 
of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, that's what this day for our church is. And when we have these meetings, it's, it's for us to consider who we are. It's to consider where the Spirit of God will lead us and to commit to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, does the fear of a wasted life drive you? It, it totally drives me. Right or wrong, the fear of a wasted life motivates me and drives me. I'm a fan of obituaries for some reason, and I came across this obituary from uh, January 30th of 2017, true obituary. Leslie Ray Sharping from Galveston, Texas, died. And this was his obituary that his daughter, part of his obituary that his daughter put out. It says, Leslie Ray Sharping, born in Calveston on November 20th, 1942, passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings and fantasizing about get-rich schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than he previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no obvious purpose. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. His daughter wrote that about him and said his life served no obvious purpose. I mean, nothing shakes me personally to think that that would be true of us as a church, of you as an individual, or of me. So what are we supposed to be about? If we've been called by God and chosen by God, what is we as individuals are we called to be about? And I think 1 Thessalonians verses 9 and 10, Paul, I think, mentions and says to them, here's what you should be about. Here's what those, this church was being about. So this is what you should be about so that your life has an obvious purpose. So what are we to be doing? As we've been talking about our hope as Christians and the hope of the resurrection, and when you read Acts chapter 17, when Paul preached at Thessalonica, what he preached to them was Jesus Christ risen from the dead, he, he, was, de he was crucified, he, he died, and he rose again. What he would say and preach to them was that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and will, Christ will come again. And most of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And he commends them and he says, what should we be about? What should we be about as we hope for the resurrection? And I think Paul speaks of three ways that this group of people, this church, these Christians were reverberating across the world is what he says in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, just trumpeted forth, or like thunder collapsed around the world. This is what was being said of these people. And what was being said about them was that they were turning to God, they were serving the living God, and they were waiting for the Son to return. They were turning, they were serving, 
and they were waiting, which are, I think, the three things for us as a church that we need to be continually doing as well. First of all, he says that they were turning to God from idols. Thessalonica was a very large city that lived on, it was on the major highway, and it was a free city. Rome had given its freedom. It's an old city. It's in Greece, modern-day Greece now. And it was an old city. It was a free city. And they had multiple gods that they worshipped, over 20 idols, 20 gods that they would worship. They would not only worship these, all these other gods, they'd worship Zeus and all these other pagan idols. They'd also worship Caesar and say that Caesar was God. They, they had a close connection with Greece. And, and Yet, when Paul came in and preached to them, Jesus Christ was died, he rose again, and is coming back, they turned from all those other idols, all those other false gods, and began serving and living the true God. The gospel leads to conversions. And the gospel leads to a conversion. It's a turning. Seeing who Jesus is, Understanding who Jesus is, recognizing that, means that there will be a turn in your life. It's a change of direction. When these people became Christians, they didn't just add another God to their list. They were, they were God worshipers, small g God. When they heard who Jesus was, they totally turned from all of those and went a completely different direction, which is why they were in so much persecution and why they were in so much trouble. It changed everything about their entire lives, socially, culturally, in their communities. They were in trouble. Paul and Silas, they were kicked out of Thessalonica by those who didn't believe. But they turned to worship the true God, Jeremiah 10, 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting God. We need to be continually about turning to God from idols. You say, I don't worship idols. We worship one God. There is a decision, first of all. For you to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, there, has to be, there was a time in your life when you saw who you were as a sinner, rebellious against God, saw who Jesus was, repented, and to be truly a Christian that you would have converted. You changed. You should be able to recognize that change, but even as Christians, we need to constantly be turning. It's a, it's a decision. It's a reorientation of their life. It's a reorientation of a whole life. Turning to God is a continuous event because our hearts make up idols all the time there's all kinds of idols we may not worship zeus and all these other idols and caesar and all these different things but we 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 worship different things anything can be an idol and everything has been an idol tim keller says in his great book counterfeit gods what is an idol an idol is anything more important to you than god anything that that absorbs your heart an imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Which is why money is a God for people. 
Sex is a God. Power is a God. And we know those, but anything can be a God. Even good things can become gods. Your children can become a God. Your job can become a God. Anything that you say, if I just have that, then I feel and I have my identity and I have meaning in this thing. We have to constantly watch as our hearts want to make us idol worshipers. And we can tear down one idol and another thing will come up and say, I got to have this. And I spend my time focusing on this. We as Christians and as a church, we have to constantly, we're called to be turning to God from idols. And seeing that this is the way we need to go, following Jesus. And how do you find them? I could have listed all kinds of idols. And I started making a list of all the idols I think our church has. And I could have listed 15 of them. And then you would have said, that's not mine, so I'm good to go. I didn't decide not to do that. But here's how you can look for your own. The way you can ask yourself is, what do you think about? What is it that you think about on a regular basis? Where where do you spend your time, your resources, and your energy? What disappoints you and crushes you? Or if you were to lose those things, you would just feel like your world is just gone. what, What consumes you right when you're getting ready to fall asleep? You had a busy day. What do you run to? to give you comfort as you doze off to sleep, there's a good chance that might be the idol that you're trusting. It it may not be your ultimate God, but it's acting as a functional God in your life. And we are called to constantly be turning to God from idols. Christ followers are called to turn, to have a a change of pursuit. This is what these people did. I mean, they they were full-blown pagan idol worshipers. Any idol that they would would worship, they were trying to get any success, any identity from any power whatsoever. They hear who Jesus is. They hear he rose from the dead, and then he's coming back, and they completely get rid of all of them, and they completely turn and have a whole new allegiance and a whole new direction, and that allegiance and that direction changes the world. That's the part we have to quite get one more time. For he says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone everywhere. This this turning from God to idols left a rippling effect in the city. It was huge. And that's what Christians are called to do. We're supposed to be, we're called to turn. To have a change of pursuit. To pursue God. And not just add God to our lives when we need them. Not just tag them along like I read this before. Not just $3 worth of God. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode. My soul or disturb my sleep. But just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. $3 worth of God will just make us a nice little church that nobody cares about. It makes no impact on the Route 34 corridor. What God wants Cornerstone Church to be is the people who are constantly turning, constantly turning to God, recognizing, Ed, that's an idol. I need to repent and change. I need to turn from that. I need to, I need to find my ultimate satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. 
Because there's a very good chance in this culture that we live in that we are constantly surrounded by idols that are calling to you. Money's a big one. Power's a big one. A position, a strategy, a place is a big one. And they're just calling to us. And that won't change nothing. That's not going to lead to a life that has any obvious purpose. Anybody can do that. Millions of people are doing it right now. That's not what we, we as Christians are called to, to do. We're called to turn, to turn from idols. Do you see a progressive, purposeful turning to Christ in your life? I mean, have, you, have you seen this growth? Where you're, you're constantly saying, well, what I need most is Jesus. What I need more is Jesus. I need more of Jesus. I need to drop those things because I need to love Jesus more. Is that just the natural state of your life where you're recognizing, oh, that's got a little bit too much control. I need to repent. I need to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and start pursuing God. That's what these people were doing. And it was reverberating all across the world. They were turning to God from idols and serving the living and true God. Word serving could have easily been and should have been probably translated turning to God from idols to be a slave to the living and true God. It's a Greek word for slave, doulos. To serve as a slave is to be in complete surrender to the will of God. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear or give allegiance. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. This is God's word to the people of God, to us. We need to hear it as this is God speaking to us. It's the Lord your God who you shall fear. Him you should serve, and by his name you should give allegiance. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. And then in the New Testament, Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is what was reverberating and thundering all across the world with the people from Thessalonica. They heard about this group of people who, who served and bowed down to all these different idols, and for years they did that. And they hear about this Jesus who died and rose again, and he's coming back, and all of a sudden now they, they got rid of all their idols, and now they're giving their lives to serve this God who is the living God. I mean, people were talking about this. Someone said this is like holy gossip. They would just say, did you hear about this? Did you hear what was going on in Thessalonica? I mean, have you heard about, did you, do you know what they just did? Do you know what they're spending their money now? Do you know what they do on their weekends? They gather together and they talk about this Jesus guy who's coming back. They don't hang out and do all these things that we used to do. Did, did you hear this? And this was going out around the world. We serve a God who is active and on a mission. That's why he was called for us to serve him. He's, he's, we're supposed to, he's, his, his mission is advancing the kingdom of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called to turn and we're called to serve the living God. Let me just give you two challenges as a church to consider. Just make a conscience consideration of your circle 
of influence. Everybody today likes to talk about the Good Samaritan helping the neighbor, and they tell the story almost to the point where it's just like this metaphor of who's your neighbor, and we really forget who our neighbor is. Your neighbor is your neighbor. The house right next to you is your neighbor. If Cornerstone Church wanted to reverberate and thunder across the Route 34 corridor, if we had a group of people who would look at the nine houses literally around their their actual house and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love my neighbors. I'm going to figure out who my neighbors are. I'm going to try to reach them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to spend time dealing with them. That's really hard to do, isn't it? It's much easier to love our poor neighbors in Chicago that we hear about that we don't have to actually deal with. It's much more difficult for me to love my neighbors whose little kids are very loud right now and send balls into my yard. And there was two this morning. And I have to remind myself, hey, that was my boys to everybody else in our neighborhood before. It's real easy to love the neighbors all around the world and all the big problems that people talk about, but what we need, Cornerstone Church, is a group of Christians who want to reverberate around the Route 34 and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to love my neighbors. I'm going to pick the nine houses around me. Instead of blogging about the neighbors around the world or checking Facebook out to see about all the neighbors around the world, I'm going to sit on my back porch and pray for the neighbors that are next to me. I'm going to invite them over to my house in some way. And everybody's neighborhood is different. But we're going to focus on our neighbors. Make a conscience consideration of your circle of influence. Or say, I live out in the country, I'm off the hook. Well, if you've got a circle of influence somewhere, find them. That will reverberate. People in this community will start talking. There'll be persecution. And you'll find out really how hard it is to love our neighbors. But that's what these people were doing. This was, this was messy and difficult and hard for them. But there was this conscience consideration of serving the living and true God. And then I would just say in that, while we try to figure out how to serve our literal neighbors and let that reverberate for a while and maybe really slow, be consistent in your stewardship and your service. For this next year, for some of you, just say, you know, I'm just going to be consistent with how I give. I'm going to be consistent in what I give all the way through. I'm going to be consistent in how I serve. Next April, you would stand back to me and say, I can't believe it. I never thought I'd be able to give God that much of my resources and my time. You'd be blown away if it was just consistent stewardship and consistent Service. First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very grace. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This church in Thessalonica were people who were turning from God and they were serving the living true God. And they did it in the strength that God provided. And they did it while they were waiting. Waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. People saw a big change in these people. This is why it was reverberating. The whole 
It was going out everywhere. These people are different. It's a different world in Thessalonica with that group of people. And people were seeing a change by their, because, but they were, by their confident living and this expectation that Jesus Christ was going to return. In the midst of suffering, it says in verse 6, they had joy. Read Acts 17 and see how difficult it was. And then realize what these people were going through when they were doing all these things. And in it, they had joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are three types of adults, I believe, in our church. There are a group of you who are just trying to set your course. You're trying to figure out still what it is that God wants from me. Where, where is my spot in life? What's the direction with my family? Some of us are trying to stay the course, trying to finish strong. And some of you are trying to see a new course. You're, you, you, you've worked, you've raised your kids, you're getting to retirement, or you are retired. And all of them, all of them have their activity, and all of them have their anxiety. There are two tracks that you can run on as a church and as individuals. You can run on that track with all that, trying to set your course, trying to stay the course, or trying to see a new course. And you can run on that a track which is the kingdom of self, or you can take all those things and run on a course that is the kingdom of God. Because you have to run this course. This is the life that we are called to live. But in the waiting, Paul Tripp says, waiting is not just about what I get at the end of the wait, but also who I become as I wait. And these people had this expectation that they were waiting for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were constantly turning. They were constantly serving, and they were constantly waiting. And all the time, all the time, they were looking to Jesus. Because it says, who raised him from the dead, Jesus, who delivers. So if you are trying to set your course, if you're a young family trying to figure it out, and it's hard and difficult, it's Jesus who delivers. If you're trying to stay the course, it's Jesus who delivers. And if you're trying to see a new course, it'll be Jesus who delivers you. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Which means this. It means that Jesus, out of his great love and grace for you, he looked at the cross, and he looked at you, and he said, I, you're significant. So I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take your guilt. I'm going to take your shame. I'm going to take your sin and all the wrath that you deserved. I'm going to put it on me. And I'm going to die so that you can have life. And I'm going to raise again so that you can look to me. Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus is the one who gives us great grace. And it's amazing grace. And as hurried as we get, sometimes we just need to calm and slow down. 
and keep turning, keep serving, and keep waiting and praying that that will reverberate across the world. And so set the course this next year to look to Jesus, keep turning, keep serving, and keep waiting. Because you as an individual, and we as a church, will by the grace of God, the love of God, and the strength of God, live lives of obvious purpose for the glory of God if we do. Rest in it. Jesus went to the cross because he loves us. He rose because he loves us. And he's sitting at the throne of God being our advocate for us out of great grace and love. And his call to us is keep moving forward, keep turning, keep serving, keep waiting. He will deliver us and he wants to use us if we'd be willing. Keep looking to Jesus. Turn, serve, and wait. to blow When I'm empty and alone I turn to you When there's hardness in my heart I can't see the truth 